Welcome to the Sandbox. Welcome to the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Dave. So we are back. We've taken a, a little bit of a winter break. Uh, just kind of, I was hibernating. I don't know about what you were doing. It's yeah, been, I, I was buried in a snowbank somewhere. It's been cold around here. It's been, I mean, it was, it was really nice. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like, everything you imagine about Minnesota winter just crushed us. And we are so whiny. You and I, <laughs> like, we should be barred from ever doing winter podcasts because <laughs> there's nothing. That's probably true. And so we apologize in advance for the next, I don't know, three months worth <laughs> of, of things that we'll just be whiny and that's kind of how we roll. Yeah, but we're, we're back. We've got some, some great episodes coming up uh, leading us into the spring. Um, we're also, uh, as we have the last couple of years, we're going to be taking a, a road trip this summer, uh, collecting some more interviews. And we've got a, a pretty exciting announcement about that as well. Yeah, I'm so excited for it. I mean, what, our first road trip, you got to understand, it was just totally random. We were sitting in my office one day, and inside of two weeks, we were driving to California. Uh, I literally looked at Dave and was like, hey, you know what would be cool? If we, like, drove and actually, like, talked to these people in person. And then two weeks later, we're in San Francisco. <laughs> we, we couldn't have done it if we actually planned it, but then we started planning them and it's been yeah. fun. So like last year, we went to East Coast and you're hearing a lot of those episodes this year. And uh, this upcoming uh, summer, we are going Southwest. Yeah. And we're going to, we've been invited to uh, join uh, with Father Richard Rohr in Albuquerque, New Mexico at the Center for Action and Contemplation. And Richard Rohr is absolutely one of our heroes and just can't wait to talk to him. Yeah, I think his, his work is really helpful for, um, for a lot of us. And, um, and especially, I think if you, if you haven't heard of him yet, I'd maybe check it out. But uh, definitely look forward to that episode coming up after we get a chance to meet with him uh, this summer. Yeah, and then we'll have a lot of different interviews as we head you know, towards uh, the, next, uh, the next place, which is Houston, Texas. We're going to Houston, Texas for the National Youth Gathering, what, 30, 35,000 high school students? Yeah, so it's like one of the big uh, Lutheran youth gatherings. Uh, I went went there a number of times growing up and uh, just a great experience. Lots of cool people, though, and lots of cool uh, organizations that are working there that uh, we're excited to just hear a little bit about what they're up to and, and share some of those stories with you. Yeah, so we'll get to interact with a lot of the youth that are there, with a lot of the leaders, as well as those those kind of movers and shakers, thought leaders, ruckus makers, all the rest of them who are who are around there. But for today, we want to introduce you to a guy named Steve Weens. Yeah, Steve is a podcaster just like us. He's a pastor. He's an author. And his latest book is called Whole, Restoring What is Broken in Me, You, and the Rest of the World. So clearly he has a very narrow measured scope. Right? I mean, it doesn't really sound like this book is probably talking about a whole, <laughs> whole lot. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> anyway, we caught up with Steve a few months ago, and we are really excited to share this conversation with you today. So with that, welcome to episode 57, Peace, Restoration, and All the Things with Steve Weens. Steve, if you just uh, tell us about who you are and, and what you're up to these days. Yeah, so uh, I'm a pastor. Uh, I started a church about three years ago in St. Louis Park, so just a little north of you guys in the Twin Cities. Uh, Genesis Covenant Church, we're a warmly liturgical church. We call Warmly ourselves. liturgical church. Fantastic. <laughs> we're warmly That's nice. liturgical. <laughs> um, so I'm that. I'm a writer. Um, I've written two books now, and I'm a dad. 
three uh, three boys, so mm. the house is loud, and it might be loud today. <laughs> so nice. Guys are all upstairs, but you know there might be the thundering, uh, the thundering <laughs> sound of you know things dropping and breaking, but hopefully not. Um, yeah, and I've lived in the Twin Cities for a real long time. Maybe maybe well not that long, but fifteen years or so. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, so tell us about uh, writing. Has that always been a, a gift, a passion of yours? Well, um, so I grew up stuttering. Mm. Uh, I was a major stutterer for a lot of years, probably since I was 15. And so, you know, I would have said words were not my strong suit for sure, and not even writing. Uh, I wasn't a good student in high school or college. Um, but then I, I, I started, you know... I mean, sermonizing and stuff is 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 a way of writing. Uh, but probably five years ago, I was having coffee with a friend. Her name is Steph, and uh, and you know, she said, you know, I was just meeting her, so she said, "What do you do?" And I said, "Well, I write." And she was like, "Well, show me what you've written." <laughs> and I honestly <laughs> wasn't writing anything, and so she kind of encouraged me to start blogging, and that was 2013, okay. and so. That that was my first real foray into exercising the muscle of writing, and so I mean I, I wrote, I posted, you know, three or four times a week for two years, and that was that was my little test to see, like, can I write? Like, do do I love writing? Can I get better at writing? Is anyone going to read my writing? <laughs> uh, right, and so um, I I just began to love it, uh, and then this idea for my first book came. And so I bought um, Michael Hyatt's How to Write a Winning Nonfiction Proposal, <laughs> the cheesiest, <laughs> cheesiest title in the world. But it really helped. It helped me really hone my idea. And so, you know, I spent a lot of time working that proposal, sent it out to a couple agents. And one of them picked me up and then, you know, off to the races. And we tried to try to sell that first book. So, and that was called Beginnings. So that's this imaginative sort of midrashic look at the seven days of creation, uh, not as some historical event to argue about, like was it six days, with 24 hour period, <laughs> right. yeah. where they're dinosaurs, all that stuff. Um, but more of like uh, how, how stories start matter. And so this poem we find in Genesis one and two is really, really a compelling way to understand how all beginnings start. And so um, I looked at it in terms of days one through seven as unique seasons that we go through in our life. So, uh, you know, like day one, there's chaos and this beautiful Hebrew word tohu vavohu, right? The swirling energy. And into that comes day one, which is light. And so I sort of looked at, you know, what are the, what are the chaotic moments that we all have? Maybe going through a divorce having your first kid, um, losing a loved one, uh, or it could even be getting a huge promotion and finding out it wasn't what you thought it would be. So what does it mean to sit in that chaos and wait for um, sort of the light to come? Like you're sort of blind in, mm. that, in, that, in that day one chaotic moment. What does it mean for God to show up and sort of invite you into something else? Uh, and then so every day, uh, in this first book, uh, was, um, a metaphor for how we experienced transformation. So it was, that one was a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, and I noticed, uh, in having read, um, just the beginning of, of, of your new book, you're such a, 
you just weave these stories together, uh, stories from your life. And, and, and I imagine that may have happened in that first book as well, but using, um, using the scriptures as a, as, as a springboard into, um, into life and, and what it means to be human through, through your writing. Yeah, I mean, I so I don't look at the scriptures as sort of a wooden morality tale, you know, that's sort of, uh, or or like an instruction manual for living, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, what a um, could there be a more boring uh, description <laughs> of this this beautiful living narrative, which is the scriptures, right? And so, uh, if 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 we're reading the scriptures imaginatively and faithfully, we're going to find out that they happened. They are happening, and they will happen, right? And so the story continues. And I think when when we're at our best, we're finding our own story uh, hidden within the gems and even the weird, odd stories. I mean, if you read the scriptures, they are bizarre and bewildering and odd, and they don't make sense, and they don't always agree. It's like there are so many contradictions in them even in the even in the uh even in the gospel accounts right of how jesus raised from the dead you know they're Mm. there so we can spend all of our time arguing about um the the literal nature of it or not or we can take a deep imaginative look at where our life how our life mirrors the characters found in scriptures and that's where i think it's really, really interesting. And so I tried to write really, especially in whole, my second book, really honestly about my own pain, my own joys, my own stories of uh, brokenness, right? Yeah. And I found within the scriptures this you know, beautiful narrative of shalom, because I think that's where it's going. Like this, this idea of shalom, not just peace, but shalom meaning completeness, wholeness, uh, the making all things new that we, you know, if you read through that lens, then, and it, and if you decide that that is how, that is where our lives are going as well, um, then it's just a whole lot more hopeful than, <laughs> again, the morality tale, um, or the wooden, uh, the wooden literalism of every single thing had to happen exactly the way we read it. It's like okay. I mean, you can you can read it that way. I mean, I think that's mm-hmm. about the that's the basement level uh, right. understanding. But I, I think we can go deeper. <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I think there's more there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that. You know, and, and you write that shalom is it's not about me or or, or you. It's about us. Um, yes. Tell tell us more about that. Hmm. Well. Um, so I think there's a way of looking at restoration as purely sort of a what's in it for me. And, and certainly wholeness is a, is about me, but if it's, if it's, if, if my wholeness doesn't lead to someone else's wholeness, then I think it's, it's not actually wholeness. Then you're on a, you're in a different river. I think I tell a story in the book about, um, one of my dear friends who also works with me. He's the associate pastor at the church that I, that I work at. And we went through a really brutal, brutal season uh, where we were, I mean, we were being as polite as we could to each other, but we, it was, and this, I mean, it's a small church, it's, you know, it's, it's very relational. It's not like some huge, no place to hide. 
<laughs> so every time we would get together, we would just end up misunderstanding each other. And um, man, there was a point at where I just followed the old narrative, and I was like, I, "I've had enough. I mean, this is brutal. I, I'm I, I gotta let this guy go." And then um, a, a beautiful. And I think, not to be weird, but miraculous work of restoration happened for for both of us. And um, I begin to I, I begin to really understand all the parts that I was playing, that I was blind to actually. I mean, all all the ways in which I was feeding mistrust and and I was treating him actually quite poorly. And um, of course, I thought it was all his fault, you know, in the moment. Like <laughs> it probably shit. was right then, right? <laughs> you had nothing to do with it, <laughs> right? But, 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 you know, because I'm the senior pastor, I, I, I fell back on this old narrative of power over and, and sort of, well, if I have the power, then I can make the choices, and if things are things get too uncomfortable for me, then I can just choose to take my ball and go home, or make him go home. And I almost did that. I mean, I really almost did that. Um, but now. Uh, so that was about two years ago. And now, because it didn't end that way, things have happened in our lives and in our relationship and, frankly, in our church that um, had I taken that easy route out, um, I think a whole lot of a whole lot more brokenness would have ensued. It, you know, i I wouldn't have um, got rid of the problem you know what I, mean? <laughs> I would still be there right right <laughs> you know and so um from that perspective like there's a way in which you can say well you know i don't deserve this my wholeness means i need space from this problem right that's my my wholeness i'm, I'm this is, but that's that's a very small-minded way of looking at that right and I think we even see that in in some of the beautiful parables that Jesus tells, uh, you know, the parable of the of the loving father, or the prodigal son, whatever you want to call it, and it ends with this this uh, tragic uh, but really a poignant conversation with the older son, and the older son is basically he he's saying that like I the, the, I I want my wholeness now. I want you to throw a feast for me now. Why didn't you give me the things that you gave the younger son who didn't deserve any of it? And and then the father's response is so interesting. It's like he 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 simply says, "My son, all that I have is yours, and you're always with me." You know, and so there's this sense of if if we can look toward the bigger story of what's happening, if we can lift our eyes off of some of our own myopic. Um, worrying about what's going to happen to me and how am I going to get my restoration, then uh, we can start to live into this idea that really all God has is actually ours and we are always with him. And so there's nothing missing, right? We, we, we can really start to live uh, as if nothing is missing, even in the middle of conflict. Um, and I think that's the radical message of of the Bible because we have conflict all over the place, right? Ugly, ugly conflict. And yet, the, it's. I'm sorry, to, that, but the trick of it is, as you said, is is how do we get from looking like up from our own stuff to see the bigger picture? Uh, what are the tools that that you've used, uh, practices, uh, ideas that you've had that help you get past, um, you know, the, your own small view? 
Well, well I think a lot of drinking really helps. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, so actually, you... um, the way the first part of the book is set up is the first part of the book is five questions that mm. really we find in the scriptures because I think the questions are much better than the answers. But the first question is um, the first question that God asks human beings after Adam and Eve, you know, sin and 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 they're hiding. God asks them, uh, "Where are you? Where are you?" And it's such a that is such a beautiful moment, and we miss it if we go. Well, God knew exactly where they were, and so he was giving them a t- – I mean, it's like, ugh, boring. It was a leading question. <laughs> right. You know, and parenthetically, if that's how we read every interaction Jesus has, right, like right. he knows the answer that everyone's going to give, but he's just asking it, then we, we, we miss everything. But if we see the question that, that God asks Adam and Eve as our question as well, that – Really, what I needed to be asked when I was struggling with my coworker is, where are you hiding in shame? How is shame and um, lack of vulnerability blinding you from seeing the opportunity to move towards shalom? And so I, I really think that's the first question. Where are we hiding? Uh, and, and, and what might it mean to come out? Right, because the next question then is, "Am I my brother's keeper?" And that's the question that uh, Cain asks God when God says, "Where's your brother?" Right, mm-hmm. you know. And of course, it's like, "What a delicious question!" You know. <laughs> um, well, I I murdered him actually. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I took him out. But he says, "Am I my brother's keeper?" And then God doesn't answer the question. And it's fascinating because the whole rest of Genesis is going to be about brothers who are fighting, brothers deceiving, brother, you know, Jacob deceiving mm-hmm. Esau, Isaac, and Ishmael in that conflict, and all the way to Joseph and his brothers. And so, you know, and at the end of the day, at the end of Genesis, it's Joseph who is seeking his brothers, and he's seeking the shalom of his brothers. We, we find that in Genesis 37. Um, when this guy in the field asks him, what are you seeking? And he says, I'm seeking my brothers. And so um, for me, that's where it starts. Like that's the, where where am I? And if I can come out of hiding and see that I, I really am my brother's keeper. I mean, I, I actually am. And my brother is more than just the person that I live with or the person I work mm-hmm. with. It starts with that, but then it goes out, you know, in concentric circles, the people that I the city in which I live, the state in which I live, the country in which I live, and then the, finally the world in which I live. And, and you know, we realize they're all our brothers and they're all our sisters. And what does it mean um, to to work for their shalom? So, um, you know, for me, it's doing some it's doing some work around um, who is my enemy. And usually it's the people we live with, you know, <laughs> it is mm-hmm. like, you know, we could say it's, you know, this right wing person or left wing person or the you know person from a different religion. But really it's, it's our wives and it's our kids and it's our coworkers and it starts there. And so what does it mean to open up instead of close down? So I, you know, I even pray like, you know, what does it mean to open up, open up the hands versus where am I clenching the fists? Um, and there's some other tools, but I think it starts with that. So you structure the whole book around these, what, five questions. 
so that's part one. So the first question, where are you? Yeah. The second question, am I my brother's keeper? The third question is, what are you seeking? And that's the question that Joseph asks or gets asked. And then he finally answers, I'm seeking my brothers. And then the next question is, where are you going? And so this is the question that Abram or Abram gets asked from God. And and this is an inferred question. It's not actually given, but but we infer it when in Genesis 12, God says to Abram, this person we know nothing about. He's 75 years old. All we know is he's a son and he's a husband, but he has no childhood. There's no mention of his relationship with God. For all we know, he you know he worships several gods, many gods, not the God. Um, but then God meets him and says, I want you to leave. <laughs> I want you to leave everything. Leave your family, leave your kindred. Uh, and in that day and age, that meant, you know, that, that, I mean, we don't even have a concept for what that is. Um, and, but he does it right. And so, um, where will we be led by God to go seek the shalom of our brothers? And we probably will be led to places we had no idea, uh, we should go. And then the fifth question is, what will you bring? And this is the question essentially that Jesus, uh, asks his disciples when he sends them out two two by two, but he says, you know, don't don't take anything. Don't don't take an extra belt or an extra tunic or don't take extra money. Uh, he sends them out together, which is really fascinating. But I think um, this is like, will we go out in, into the world to seek wholeness, armed only with our vulnerability? You know, like like really trusting in the story, really trusting that it is working towards shalom. And you know, if we hit if we hit a place where people aren't seeking shalom, then then we do our best, but then we leave, right? Yeah. And so, so that's the first part of the book. The second part of the book is the journey from Egypt to the wilderness to the promised land, and this is the communal journey that that we all take. It's it's the journey of birth, death, and rebirth. And you can't get to the promised. There's no there's no as Richard Rohr says. There's no direct flight from Egypt to the promised land, <laughs> unfortunately. You know, there's this journey, uh, there's this journey through the wilderness that we all have to take and Jesus took it and, and we all take it, you know? Um, so wholeness isn't pretty, it's gritty, it's soulish, it demands everything. Um, so in then the second part is filled with stories, my own stories and the stories of scripture as well. The word that I, I keep hearing you use is vulnerability. So that's, uh, that's core to, to your writing. That's core to, Maybe your approach to um, to your work uh, would that would that be true? And what would you say about that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I you know, I think vulnerabilities can be a weird word. Like, does it feel overly soft, or you know, <laughs> does it feel myop, like weird? What is vulnerability? But it, I just think, um, I mean, I've been affected by Brene Brown, Doctor yeah. Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. She's written a lot of great stuff. I think she's and she's striking a chord with people because I think um, most of us have have noticed that there's like when when we try to face down the real monsters of our lives with the fake veneer of everything's fine or I'm going to really grit this out or as she says, I'm going to, you know, tap the try hard button again and again and again. <laughs> um, you know, we've all experienced that. And I think if we're honest, um, that just doesn't work at all. It's just, we feel lonelier and we feel more isolated and we, we really do try hard. I mean, I see, you know, we see so many Christians trying so hard, um, 
In fact, just just today, some children's pastor said, hey, I was going through this vacation Bible school curriculum, and the definition of sin was anything you do that would disappoint God. Nice. (laughs) Not angry, just disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we're teaching our kids, right? Um, But that is what we're teaching our kids, right? So that doesn't invite vulnerability. Mm -hmm. That just invites faking it until you make it. And that shame is that is shame. Yeah, it's shame. So again, so for these kids who've been taught that, now we're back at question number one, you know, where are you hiding? Right? Okay. Um so so yes, vulnerability is a big is a big um I, um characteristic is too small of a word. It's like if you don't have vulnerability in your arsenal. Um, of spiritual transformation, you're just not going to get very far. Um, because I think, you know, true self, false self, if you guys talked about true self, false self, like on the podcast at all, not on the podcast, I don't, have we? No, I don't think we have. No. Really. I don't think we have. Okay. So there's this idea that, you know, we all, we all have a false self that we've mm-hmm. constructed and it served us well, right? Because as kids, maybe we were abused or or maybe we went to too many VBS schools. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so we created this false self that that made us safe and it made us, you know, we and we performed well and, and it got people to accept us. But at some point in our lives, hopefully earlier rather than later, we realized that that is a lonely place to be. And so then I think if God is working in our lives, God starts bringing out the true self. And this is, this is our actual, our actual self that God actually, this is the only thing that God actually can touch and, and, and deal with because our false self is illusory, right? I mean, it's this, it's this fake smoke screen. It doesn't have anything real to it. And so vulnerability allows us to meet the false self and not run, you know, <laughs> that's the thing. It's like, um, and then we, it, and then, like Parker Palmer says, the soul is like a wild animal that is waiting in the in in the brush, and you have to be really quiet for a real long time for it to come out. I mean, if you if you try to you know if you try to scare it out, it, it's just going to run away. So that's like the true self, mm-hmm. right? And and um, and I think as it relates to wholeness, um, we need more people who are um, who are serious about. Um, letting their true self emerge, right? I mean, we've all met people who, man, they're just like, they are killing it at life, right? And and they just have story after story after story of being awesome. And we hate those people, you know? <laughs> they're no good. We, no one likes those people um, because, because you can't relate and there's no, there's no sense of like- But that's like the, that's like the phenomenon of, of social media though. I mean, true self, false self- uh, and and trying to scare out the uh, you know uh, would would you say, uh, scare out the soul? I mean the true self is uh, buried uh, or this false self is just highlighted on on anybody's Facebook page. I mean you're only going to see oh, yeah. the best pictures, and I've read the most the best books and the, listen to the most <laughs> interesting music, and and you know I mean that's. I, I, Absolutely, the the f- definition of the false self. So maybe this this move towards vulnerability uh, in this in this heightened uh, the the core that uh, Brene Brown's work you know struck with us is because man we're dealing in false self mm-hmm. all the time online all the time yeah ours and others yeah and I think 
it goes even deeper when I mean I've read scientific studies that when we when we go on Twitter or on Facebook or on Instagram and we're looking for the likes, you know, every time we get a like or a retweet or someone shares something, there's a little dopamine hit, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, and, and so our brains really get wired up to to expect the dopamine hit. We're like the rats that hit the bar over and over and over again. So we get trained to share the things that get the likes. And that's that's the opposite of vulnerability. Right, <laughs> right. I mean, right. Like, and so, I mean, there's lots we could say about, um, and social media is fine. It's great. It's a great way to get, you know, to share great work, like, like your awesome podcast, you know, we can share that in the world via social media. It's Mm -hmm. incredible. It's a great tool, but it's, but it's really, uh, my fear is it's, it's, it's forming, um, it's forming our false self and it's forming our Mm -hmm. need to perform, right? We perform and, the more we do that, the farther away we are from the true self, right? And even from this idea of shalom, wholeness, completeness, like imagine a dinner table, wine is flowing and food and, you know, laughter and, and that, and then, you know, we always have to pause, wait a minute, let me take a picture of this. And then we <laughs> record it and share it on mm-hmm. Instagram. It's like, no, just enjoy, you know? Enjoy even that impulse to pull out our cameras and take the picture of this beautiful moment that we're having. Now you're gone. Now the moment is gone. Right. So how have you seen uh, the ideas in your book and some of the work that you've been up to um, shaping maybe your family or your church community or just kind of the, the larger community around you? Like what what effects have you seen when people have really taken a new step and tried to pursue this sense of wholeness? That's a great question, man. Um, well, obviously, it's a long journey, right? You know, and 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 small steps. But we had so just this last Sunday, um, we had a thing after after our church service, where um, these twelve people that went to Israel and Palestine um, to really talk about peacemaking. So they mm-hmm. they went into and they were led into this by this great organization called the Global Immersion Project. Uh, Jer Swigert and John Hawkins, you should have them on the podcast too, because they are incredible doing some great work in the world. But so, um, it's this, it's this journey where they, they went to Israel, Palestine and their four sort of core thoughts as you enter into a, a, a place where you don't understand and you don't have is first of all, you, you see, you, you, you see the other and you listen, then you Immerse yourself in in the world of the other, in, in the other that you don't understand. And then you begin to contend with the injustice that you see, but only after you've spent time seeing and immersing. Mm. And then that works toward restoration. So we got a chance to hear from these people, just kind of their stories. And this one woman shared, so there was, uh, there was 12 people from our church, there were some people from Oakland, and um, she had this interaction where um, she and this um, African-American guy who was also on the trip sort of were going uh, to go do something and the guy didn't want to do it. And she, who this white woman, my friend, kind of got in his face and said, what are you doing walking away? You need to see this. Remember, see, immerse, contend, restore. And then he just got in her face and said, you have no idea what my life is like. You have no idea as a, as a black man, what I've gone through. You have no idea what I'm experiencing here. And so I'd really thank you just to keep your mouth shut, you know, Mm. and it really messed with her. Mm. Um, but 
it, how it messed with her is she was realizing, oh my gosh, like it's, it's, I, I need to see the other on my team, you know? Mm-hmm. And so uh, she was sharing that and they had this great conversation where they both showed up vulnerably and, you know, like that's the work. I mean, so sometimes, sometimes we have to go to Israel, Palestine just to get way out of our comfort zone and learn all about what the Palestinians are going through and what the Israelis are going through and to understand that there's really two sides to this really tragic and ugly conflict. What else should we know? <laughs> well, um, you know, I think uh, regarding regarding wholeness, um, and I'm glad you asked the question, um, it is a personal journey and it's a communal journey. And you know, it's not either or. It, it it really is both. And 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 so, I I've written this book, Whole, uh, restoring what's broken in me, you, and the entire world. Actually, because I have great hope in what I'm seeing in the world right now. Great hope. I'm seeing, like this little group of people from our church, go and learn about Palestine and Israel and that conflict. Uh, I'm seeing on my podcast. I'm interviewing people that are doing such amazing work. This guy named Leroy Barber, uh, he is dedicating his life to helping promote people of color in leadership. He told me this stat. He's like, you know, only 7% of nonprofits are led by people of color. Hmm. And only 18% of nonprofit employees are people of color. So he's like, that's got to change, right? And so he started this thing called Hope Mob. And it's basically um, – it's kind of like a crowdsource people, you know, I, I, I give $10 a month and I don't, you know, so then that $10 goes, cause I trust this organization that goes toward resourcing, training, uh, and, and empowering leaders of color. And so, um, what else should I mean? It, like jo- join the journey of wholeness, join the peacemaking process, see other people immerse in your, in your situation. I mean, buy books and resources, listen to podcasts that, um, that make you think, how can I be, can I be a part of the restoration that really is happening? Um, uh, my book is one of them, right? Um, so definitely buy that book. I mean, that would be, <laughs> that would be number one. Buy a couple copies. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> my, my publisher would kill me if, if, um, if I didn't say that, but, um, yeah. And I mean, I do a podcast, it's called This Good Word, and um, I've had a lot of fun with that. There's there's a lot of people doing a lot of sweet work um, in the world. And and, and you guys, I, I, I've listened to several episodes of your of your podcast, and I, I just, we're, we're, we're brothers from another mother. You know, I mean, we're, we're kindred, I think, in what we're trying to put out into the world. Um, a different way of thinking, maybe a fresh way of thinking about God and the scriptures that, um, that, that leads people toward um, a sense of hope and wholeness. Well, thank you so much for your time. And, yeah, and really appreciate can't, it. Can't wait to see the see the book and buy five copies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks, you guys. This yeah. was really fun. Yeah, thank you. So we just got done with winter break here at Sandbox. And while we were away, it just seemed like there was nonstop news of partisanship in Washington and, and violence in our streets. You know, there are battle lines being drawn all over the country between liberals and conservatives, religious fundamentalists, and <laughs> it seems like everyone. There are insiders, there are outsiders, you name it. It feels like every day's news cycle is just more intense than the last. 
and every day seems to, to reveal a fracturing of community and connection. And that's why I love the work of Steve Weens. Steve begins by explaining his way of interacting with the scriptures. But then he broadens it and shows us a way of interacting with and even understanding the world. He says everything in scriptures, as in life itself, is moving toward shalom. A word that means for him not just peace, but completeness, wholeness, the making of all things new. Steve argues that this is where the whole thing is headed. Let that just sink in for a moment. What if we could view life through that kind of a lens? If the whole universe is moving more and more toward wholeness and completeness, peace, something new, then hurdles and obstacles become, well, they become just that. We overcome that which gets in the way and we keep moving forward into shalom. We begin seeing the best in our neighbor, partnering with others, and ultimately healing painful divisions. Of course we are not there yet, and of course we are active participants in it all, and there's lots of work to be done. I get that. But what if we leaned into this vision of God, the universe, and where we are headed together? Would we begin to see a change? Perhaps this would be the beginning of a move toward completeness, wholeness, and all things becoming new. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. We had so much fun meeting Steve and learning from him. Be sure to check out his latest book, Whole, Restoring What is Broken in Me, You, and the Rest of the World, available wherever fine books are sold. (laughs) And remember, we are back into our normal rotation after a break. Uh, So this is the schedule you'll be on uh, in 2018. We'll have new episodes coming out every couple weeks, so get ready. And as always, if you want to stay up to date with all the things that are going on in the Sandbox, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, or sign up for our mailing list at sandboxcooperative.com. We are working hard to build up this virtual community with podcast road trips to the East Coast, the West Coast, and soon to the Southwest. We love meeting and connecting with new people and hearing from you. So drop us a line. Let us know what you think about the podcast. And if you'd like, rate and review us on iTunes and join us in the conversation. And as always, be sure to share this podcast with someone who might like it because there's always more room in the sandbox. Until next time, we'll see you. Bye. Please watch your step as you exit the sandbox.